Welcome to the Dream Centre Manchester, where we trust the ministry of Pastor Tony Higginson and the team will challenge and inspire you to become the move and be the demonstration. We warmly invite you each Sunday morning to join us for our family service, but for more information or to subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at thedreamcentre.co.uk. If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 6. <laughs> you know, church, I really feel the, the, uh, the strength and weight of what we've been talking about. And in that strength and weight, there's a great challenge coming upon your life. And uh, please don't just hear, but, but begin to do what God is speaking to us. Does that make sense? Yeah. You see, some of us have become professional note-takers. And there's nothing wrong with taking notes, but it's got to become a life. Yeah. See, the Bible, the Bible just didn't become a book. It became more than a book. It became a life. Amen. The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So can the word become flesh in you and can you dwell amongst people of unclean lips? Or are, or are you the person with the unclean lips? Or are you the person with unclean lips? This is meant to dwell in you and you are meant to dwell amongst people of unclean lips. Mm. You're not meant to be the person with unclean lips. You're meant to be the person who dwells around and from your fragrance, your fragrance begins to make a noticeable difference in the, right, around those people and in the environments of which you become part of. If you're the problem, then Houston, we have a problem. Yes? You see, when that original statement was made, Houston, we have a problem, it's actually not the statement. It was actually changed. It was Houston, we had a problem. Not we have a problem. We had a problem. Now the problem is, is when you think we have a problem, there's always a problem. But when we had, it tells me you've moved beyond it. Now if you're saying, Lord, we have a problem, how many of you know the problems that you have are not the problems you've always had? Because as you go from one degree of glory to another, the problems you're having are different problems, they're new problems. They're not the same. There should be some areas of your life you no longer have a problem in. But there'll be new areas that's revealed in you where there is a problem. So, Lord, in some areas I can say, Houston, I had a problem. And in other areas, command centre, Houston, I have a problem. God says, I know, you are the problem. God says, I scouted the earth and you're the man with unclean lips. There's the problem. So we've been looking in need versus lack. I want you, I'm going to ask you to do something very, I've never asked you to do before. I'm going to ask you to pray for me about a book I want to write. And I've never asked you to pray for me for wisdom about anything I've ever written before because I've always just written it or wrote it. And just let the words do the speaking. But this book, 
I know it carries the potential to turn its readers upside down. And I want to write a book, Why Does Legacy Expire? What are the reasons and pitfalls of why a person's legacy expires? Why does someone expire long before the dead? There are many. Yeah, that's one of them, Chris. There's many reasons why someone expires. Now, the problem is this, this is not my subject this morning, but I just want to give you this little bit so that you've got in, you can start praying. Lord, give the pastor some wisdom insight in this. I know this book has the potential to go beyond me. And the trouble with when something expires, it expires long before it becomes visible. It's only when it becomes visible we see something's not right. But the problem is, it was in the period when nothing was seen that expiry took place. And that was the opportunity for you to change. But you didn't, and it became your blind spot, and it became your undoing. So I'm looking at legacy and why it expires. In my first book, Living, Leading and Leaving, I wrote how to create a legacy. This, really, I don't know which one should have gone first, but as the revelation comes, so as my pen becomes the tongue of a ready writer. But I really feel that I have to write this book. And I'm asking you to ask the Lord to give me wisdom on it. I don't ask you to suggest me what to write. I'm not writing your book. I'm asking you to pray for the Lord give me wisdom in what chapters to write. Yesterday I got four chapters of an idea of how to take the book. So I'm still another six chapters loose. Because you're supposed to have ten chapters in the book. For it to become sellable, marketable, all that kind of stuff. So they tell you. And if you want it to become a curriculum in a university anywhere, your book has to have ten chapters. So it can become a curriculum over a set period of time. So I always write with a, with a ten. And sometimes more. More is okay. Less is not very good. But anyway, that's just a, So will you do that for me? Yeah. Don't say yes if you don't mean yes. If you will, great. If not, that's fine. Uh, those who are praying, good. So we've been looking at needs and lack. And I see a great lack in the church. And its legacy has expired. But that's just that's a separate thing altogether. In last week and in the subsequent weeks, we've been looking from Matthew, 60, uh, Matthew 6, 31 to 34. And we've looked at, we see that in this scripture, this is just one scripture of many, many other scriptures. We see a principle called the law of first. The law of first is seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. So many Christians say kingdom, but I don't hear them emphasize righteousness. And its righteousness. The kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. So whatever you see the kingdom in someone's life, you should see righteousness, peace, and joy. You should see it. It's, not, it's, it's one thing to, to, say someone, to, to hear someone say, I am a believer. Well, the monkeys sang their believers many years ago. In the, was it the 60s? I'm a believer. Well, the thing is, is, if there is no righteousness seen, no peace and joy, then you have to ask, what type of believer are you? And in this law, we see the power of human behavior. The human givens, the human behavior of mankind is summed up in Matthew 6. And he uses a word called pagans. And Jesus uses the pagans as a 
teaching tool to show them this is how these guys go about doing what they do and how they obtain what they obtain. This is not for you. This is not my Father's will that you should live like this. There's a different rule, a different law, a different way to obtain what you lack and what you need. And it's not that way. But this is becoming more and more the contemporary Christian behaviour seen in today's church. The same debt that's in the world is in the church. The same God called MasterCard, Visa, Solo, whatever your credit card company is, is also what's underpinning so many Christians. It's not good. We're not the model. We are just part of the mainstream. We're not, we're not the example that God is looking for. Now, there are principles to get us out of this hole. To keep us out of this hole. If you're in the hole, all hope is not lost. If you return to the law of firsts, God can give us the strategies of how to reverse the mess we're in. That's the first hope. Because the pagans have the same hopes, needs, lacks and desires as you. Because Jesus used common things that are common to us all. All of us have got clothes this morning. All of us hopefully had something to eat before we came to church this morning. Yes? So clothes and food. All of us will return to a dwelling. Whether it's rented or bought, shared, irrespective. So he uses, we all need something to eat, wear, we all need a roof over our head. These are commonalities common to man. One wasn't spiritual, one, was, one, you know, one wasn't. They were just commonalities. But however, how we obtain these things and the way these, the directions that these things then pull us all in is the very thing that Jesus was highlighting. And I keep highlighting them to you because behavior is the most important thing in Scripture. Hello? Behavior. How you respond to God's word will create a behavior. So all the way through Scripture... Behaviour is a central issue. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, that's behaviour. And will call upon the Lord, behaviour. I will come and heal their land. So the action was the result of their behaviour. The action that got them in the problem, the problem in the first place was created through their behaviour. And now it's going to be a different behaviour that's, that's going to cause the law to intervene and get them out of this mess. It's always behaviour that digs you a hole. It's always going to be behaviour. And Jesus knows this. All the scripture is written about behaviour. Faith creates a behaviour. Doctrine creates a nature. Nature creates a behaviour. You cannot get away from behaviour. In the beginning... The Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost were together. There was a behaviour upstairs. So he says to Moses, make sure you build everything according to the pattern that was shown you. Why? Because the pattern points to a behaviour. Yes? Everything is to do with behaviour. So we saw 
how the, the pagan has slowly become more and more, I should say, how the believers are becoming more and more paganistic in their behaviours. In the Western church, it's very difficult sometimes to see what a Christian looks like. Because this whole thing about blending in, fitting in, rather than standing out, means now we all look the same. You look at some churches, the same crowd on the stage is like going to a pop concert. You wouldn't know. The same sounds are coming out. The songs are just words. There's no spirit behind them. But it all looks the same. God's not fooled by this behaviour. He's not fooled and neither should you. And we see that the pagan behaviour is, is the alarming thing, church. It's making up much of the, of the core of the church. I'll be kind to you and say you're the unusual one. Because if you don't follow the mainstream, you're not the core. Because the majority of the core fall, look like the, the society. And that's why you can go into church today and see less and less of the presence of God and the Spirit of God moving. Why? Because pagan behavior is taking over. We're neutralizing. We're despiritualizing. We're downgrading. And what we're doing is we're actually removing God week by week, stage by stage. It's very alarming. The pagan believer, as we said last week, has become a fan, not a follower. He knows how to worship. He knows how to raise his hand. Years ago, when I went to my evangelical church, it was clearly obvious we was not spirit-filled. You could not even clap your hands or even raise your hand. Raising a hand, the only time you raise a hand if you want to go to the toilet. <laughs> there was no one who would even dare raise the hand halfway. It was so distinct that we was not charismatics. And we would all sing, and Mrs. Cholton, bless her name, she'd sit there on the piano, and we'd all follow this one lady, she was the leader. And whatever she played, we sang. And if we wanted to carry on and she didn't play, we didn't play. We didn't sing. She would look round and say, if I'm playing, we sing. If we're not, that's it. Game over. And then I, I come, you come to a church like this, when it was almost like confusion compared to where I'd been to. It was clearly obvious, it's not like the old place I came from. And in those days, we had the acetate machines. Do you remember? And it was like the bus. Paul and Dave used to sit there at the front. They were like bus conductors. Sit there. Next one on. Next one on. Next one on. Do you remember those days? They were the good old days, as we used to say. They weren't good. They were just days. I believe we're in, these are better days. And, uh, and we, we were distinctly aware that of our behaviour. And when we look back now, we can see how our behaviour's changed. And you can see, especially in this house, how we like to preserve the freedom of the Holy Ghost. Because it's a rare thing. More churches today will not make room for the Holy Spirit. And if it is, it's all got to come through one man. So we're sadly changing and we're becoming more paganistic. Why? Because we're becoming more people-focused. And it's alarming. So the fans are taking over the church. And we've got less and less followers. The only followers we've got today are the ones on Facebook. Why? Because fans like. 
Fans worship around circumstances. Fans worship through emotion. Fans worship occasionally. That's not a follower. That's a fan. A follower doesn't see worship as something done on a Sunday. That's not worship. That's called singing. Yes? You can sing happily following the Elibet Road. But it's not worship. Even she danced and the Munskins followed. But it wasn't worship. So we've got to be very careful that we don't become fans. Hello? The pagan's life is entangled by a sea of uh, human needs. And those needs are what entangle their life and get them trapped and caught up in the, the rat race. Work harder but never have enough. It's what causes stress, depression and anxiousness. Why? And the more they pursue the things they need, the more depressed and anxious and stressed they become. And it's a vicious cycle, it's a vicious circle that they can't get out. And the enemy is laughing in. The enemy laughs. And God sits there and goes, my people. The pagan is a person who repents just enough to become saved. But not enough to demonstrate a change, transform life. Oh, the pagans here, by the way. They're in a church here. They're a church near here. Nearby, they're in here, they're everywhere, pagans. A pagan is someone who for all, uh, for all their so-called Christian growth, we never see the real Christ in them. Now there's the challenge right there. I should be able to see Christ in you, who is the hope of glory. If I can't see and you can't see Christ in any of us, then our behavior is reflective of what the lifestyle behind it. It's amazing. People can come to church all their life. Oh, yes, I'm, I'm, uh, I got a letter the other week saying uh, one of your members, or not one of your members, sorry, a member, as, as a long, long time ago member, has now come to our church and they would like to transfer their membership. <laughs> Seriously. They'd like to transfer their membership and everything inside me said, this is a great opportunity to send a letter. And then I thought, no, it's not worth it. You're right. I thought, it's not worth the time. And I just thought, how sad. Transfer membership. You're happy with membership. We're looking for partnership. Well, some are looking for membership. We're looking for partnership. And I just went, yeah, I know him. Bless him. May the Lord continue to shine on them. And you, wish them peace. Send them my regards. That's it. We need to see Christ. You don't see Christ in members. You see Christ in, in partners. Those who labor and partner in the work. That's where Christ is seen. Yeah? Members think they can it's a club we can join. It's not a club. There's no form you fill out. What, you mean I can just come? Yes. The door that greets you is the door that closes behind you. It's It's open. And the members think they're entitled to votes. Well, we don't have a vote. Members think, well, 
Oh, I won't go down that road. <laughs> Just leave it. Leave it, Tony. <laughs> Committees, hierarchies. And then they say the board. The board. Yeah, the executive board. Is that where you're all fed up? The board. That's what they call them. In churches, the executive board. Yeah, the executive board. Oh, okay. I realized that I thought, man, I need an upgrade. I am realizing there's a few titles here that I could have that I think I'm entitled to. And uh, now I need to be called senior, super, whatever it is. Whatever it is, just move me up the top. Executive pastor. I don't know what that means. I just read the Bible, it says pastor. It didn't say executive. It didn't say super. I don't know what it means other than the word numpties. Numbskulls, that's what they are. Matthew seven sixteen. This is the pagans. When the pagans, the lunatics are taking over the asylum. And when they bring in their patterns and their structures, everything looks the same as everything else outside. Hello? And then what you get, let me just say this free of charge. A lot of what we hear, we say is prophetic ministry. is not prophetic ministry, it's parallelism. Parallelism. In other words, because I can see a parallel with something outside, I think now I'm being prophetic because I can join the two together. That's not prophecy. Prophecy is what God's saying. Not what you can see and how you can join the dots up. Prophecy is not about you. Prophecy is about that way, not this way. So I can see similarities and parallels football with the church. Doesn't mean to say that's prophetic. I see in the church, there are fans. I see in football, there are fans. In the, in the football world, I see corporate hospitality. People who think they're entitled to things. I see that in the church. And that you can go all the way through the game and see the parallels. That's not prophecy. That's because it is. It's just observation. But so much of prophecy is, well, I see this and, and I see that's what's happening in the church. That's prophecy. No, it's parallelism. So Matthew 7, 16, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people know, in this scripture before, someone comes to me and says, that's not actually talking about what you're saying. I'll qualify it right now. This scripture is talking about false prophets. So I'll let you know the context of the scripture now before you write me. It's talking about false prophets. Now, when he talks about fruit, is it fair to say that if a false prophet can show a fruit, so can a non-believer. Or, so can a believer. It's the same principle. Fruit is fruit. Fruit is a demonstration of behavior. Yes? So whether it's a false prophet or not, whether it's a genuine prophet, whether it's a believer or a half-believer, a fan or a follower, fruit is what will be born based on a behavior. So now I'll give you that context. Let me read this to you. By the fruit you will recognize them... Do people pick grapes from farm bushes? So do bananas come from apple trees? No. Or figs from thistles? Likewise, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. Hence the word good. Good trees, good fruit. Bad trees, bad fruit. It's not rocket science. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Yes, and a good tree can't bear bad fruit unless it becomes sick. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut 
down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you shall recognize them. So therefore, is it fair to say that we need to see Jesus in the behaviors of the follower? If we only see the fan and we don't see Jesus, then the trouble hits the fan, so to speak. Can you see that? We need to see Jesus. Not your attendance, not your money, not your, voc- not your vocal ability. We need to see Jesus. That will tell me whether you're a fan or you are a genuine follower. So can we see some Jesus, please? What is the currency in our house? Faith and Jesus. Or our faith in Jesus. It's not your knowledge. It's Jesus. The attributes, the characteristics, the lifestyle behaviours of Jesus himself. And this is why we need the apostolic ministry. is to form, shape, craft Christ in us. That's the Jesus And if we can't see the Jesus, there's something wrong. Houston, we have a problem. (laughs) So between need and lack, there's a bridge that I explained last week very briefly, and it's called enough. Lack and need, there's a word called enough. Now, I can't cover all the word enough today, but I want to say something about enough. Enough. How many of you have been to a buffet, all-you-can-eat buffet? And this, I remember going into one buffet once upon a time, and it really began to speak to me. And, and, and whether it was, I came to a conclusion or whether it was the Holy Spirit, I cannot say. But I got the message. I opened the mail. And the Lord, oh no, I'm using the word now, Lord. I, or could I say I, I got this distinct feeling, just take what you need, not what you can have. And that became a very central theme as I was watching all these people taking mountains of food. You would have thought they'd just read Sky News and there was going to be a, there was a famine announced coming over Britain. And there were mountains, food mountains. I know where the food bank is. I've seen the food bank. It was in these buffets. So when you say, eat all you can eat, it's a challenge to some people. The issue, you know, if you have your evening meal at night, you have, well, I can't say for all of you, but you should have a sensible portion of food. You wouldn't eat at home what you eat in an all-you-can-eat buffet. Why is that? Mentality. And the mentality is a paganistic, impoverished mentality that says, I'm paying for it, so I'm getting as much as I can. (laughs) It's wrong. The challenge is not to eat everything or as much as you can. It's not a challenge. The service they're providing is there's an array of choice. The issue, the emphasis is on the amount of choice available, not on how much you can consume. Come on, think about it. It's the range of choice. So at home, you're not going to prepare all those choices. You're going to have your egg, chips and beans. 
or your fufu, and your okra, yeah, or maize, whatever it is you cook, you're going to have what's conducive and according to your budget. True? So when at home do you say, let's go and get a Chinese, let's go and get an Indian, let's get some okra, let's get some fufu going, right? Let's get it all going and we'll have as much as we can and we'll pretend it's an all-you-can-eat buffet. (laughs) Well, nobody does that. So there's a mentality that when you walk across that, into that building and you see an all-you-can-eat buffet, you go like crazy. That's not the behavior. Seriously. Arrest, arrest the stupidity of your thinking. It is. Because it's choice, not amount. Now let that sink into you right now. That's a holy word for some of you. That's the word of the Lord. Listen, this doesn't mean, thank you God, I can clear the table. Watch. Thank you Lord, I can clear the table. No, it means... Thank you, Lord, I've got choice. Some have meat and can he eat, and somebody that wants it, but we have meat and we can eat, so set the Lord be thank it. It's called the Selkirk Grace Scotland, if you don't know. You've got money, so you can eat. But it didn't say, do the fella out of business. Friend of mine goes on a cruise. And he tells me the story. It's the first cruise he's been on. And he's got the upgrade. And the first day he's on the boat, he goes... And now you know if you're on a cruise, you're getting fed, well-fed, wherever you go. So they get well-fed. But there's these two American ladies. And they are huge. They are huge. And this is what they do. This is what they said to him when he talked to them. Ladies... This is the buffet. Yeah, yeah. We book a two-week cruise and all we do is sit at this table and eat all the food. Can you imagine? That's their idea of a cruise. And let's face it, if you're that big, you can't move. You're never late for dinner. The mentality is a pagan, impoverished mentality. You don't live worrying about what we're going to eat, how much we're going to eat. Why does your appetite increase just because you see it's all there? Seriously. Seriously. So there are, there are things in life that never say or never have enough. You're one of them. And I'm one of them. Not you personally. Just those in the room. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the Christian at the side here. You see, when I go into a buffet like that, Carol will tell you, nine times out of ten, I always go for the salad bar. Nine times out of ten. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. Because I refuse to go. I, I refuse to allow my behavior to be the same as everybody else's. Now, listen, that's one area I'm disciplined in. There's many I'm not. So I'm not, point, I'm not painting out a holy saint here at the front. 
Right, I'm a, I'm a salad king, yeah. I like, I like my salads. And, but there's other areas in my life where I can overindulge. I am, there's no saint up it. Well, I'm a saint, but I'm not a saint, if that makes sense. So there are things that never have enough. I'm going to tell you what these are. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 8 says, There are all things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye has never had enough of seeing. Corinthians, sorry, Ecclesiastes 1, chapter 1, verse 8. The eye has never had enough of seeing. And the ear, nor the ear, it's fill of hearing. Let me say that again. So the first two things we see that's never had enough is the eyes and the ears. The eyes and the ears. So you go to the buffet. Wow. Wow. I've never had enough. You take some kids to a sweet shop. And I take, when I take Helen and Harper to the sweet shop, Harper, she's like... <laughs> she's, she doesn't know which one to go for first. And you say, just choose one. And once you get her at the beginning, that's it. There's no end to her. She wants all the sweets in the shop. No. Because she thinks it's just pick and mix. Yeah, there's pick and mix and then pay. <laughs> pick, mix, weigh and pay. Yes, there's another two parts there to that. So when you go to the cinema and you get pick and mix, there's always a weigh and then a pay. Yes? And it's the same when you eat food. There's always a weigh counter and there's always a pay counter at the end. And that's why... That's why... there's. You know, Think about it, there's another thought why legacy expires. Because people dig their own graves by what they eat. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1 says, All things are wearisome more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. Now let's think about this for a minute. What's it saying? What about gossip? What about gossip and slander? Now, I'm going to introduce you to a phrase, I shared it with Dave and Lisa a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if you remember it. It's called fake intimacy. Fake intimacy, write it down, because you've all had it. You've all engaged in fake intimacy. I'm not talking about sexuality now. I'm talking about fake intimacy. Now here's the principle of fake intimacy. Let's just say... I walk into a room and I meet um, Veronica for the first time. And Veronica is not backward at coming forward telling me what she doesn't like. And the people she doesn't like. Because she may have a strong view about something. So I also don't like that same person or those same people that Veronica is talking about. So I join with her. And now we get on like a house on fire. Right? But here's the problem with fake intimacy. We're getting on and we think that we've got genuine relationship. All we have in common is the hatred of the same things. And the same people. So we'll talk and talk and talk. But should a light shine on either one of us. And then we begin to have a different opinion. Then guess what? We no longer have intimacy. And now I become, or she becomes, the subject 
of her moaning because now I'm crossed over to the other side and now I'm just one of them. So now she hates me as well. So in the church, you'll always get fake intimacy in the body of Christ. Why? Because you're not the only one who don't like the pastor. You're not the only one who doesn't like the way they sing this song. You're not the only one. And you will find birds of a feather flock together. And the, but the birds of the feather flocking together don't have true intimacy. You have a commonality of a dislike of the same thing. And your ears never have enough of it. When gossip is around, you never have enough gossip. When your eyes are focusing on the wrong things, you never have enough of it. Come on. Some things never have enough in life. And the reason why we have need in life is because we never learn to understand the power of enough. Enough is, you have something to eat so I want more. In fact, the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy that the children of Israel were complaining and complaining and complaining about the buffet that God was supplying. And he kept supplying quail from heaven. So quail Monday, quail Tuesday. Quail, can we have fufu with quail? No, 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 fufu and quail. No, no, can we have okra? No, no, no. So it's just quail, quail, quail. And they, they began to moan. And he says, I filled their mouths and they were full. And as they turned with food in their mouth, they said to themselves, we have not had enough. Wow. You got a food in your mouth. Cheeks are burning out. And they said, we've not had enough. And he gave them over to destruction. Because enough will always lead you to the point of destruction. Because you try something, before you know it, you need more. And then you get the law of diminishing returns. You try to get the first feeling you had, that when you first had it. So your first, your first taste of something was wonderful, so you think if you have another one, it'll taste, I'll get the same feeling back, but it doesn't. So you take more and more and more and more and more and more, and you, get, you can't try to get that first feeling back, but you can't. It's called the law of diminishing returns. Right? Yeah, alcohol. Drugs, you can sex, pornography, whatever it is, it takes you into a deep hole and into a cycle of death because it's never had enough. And this is why many of us live with, with lack and need because we never know the power of enough. Oh, I'm preaching good. So then, do you want the next one or the next two? What's never had enough? And you know this. It's called the mouth. A man's appetite. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 7. All man's efforts are for his mouth. Yet his appetite is never satisfied. Wow. All man's efforts are for his mouth. And... Yet his appetite is never satisfied. So I want more. So if I give you two pounds, you want three. If I give you a thousand pounds, you want two thousand. If you get a good deal, you want more off the deal. 
Because you're always sick. You've never had enough. You never know what enough looks like. So you keep bending and twisting and pushing to get everything you can. But guess what? The, the shame is on you. It's not how much I can get off something. It's about how I conducted myself in the process. That's the bigger picture. It's knowing when no is no. And when yes is yes. Some days I'll go into a shop, I'll ask for a discount, they'll say no. I'm not offended by no. Well, I need this and I need that. Well, take your business somewhere else. Jog on. You've got to learn to live with the word no. No is fine. Because if you win, if you get... If you barrage people and, and are unkind to people and you walk away and think you've won, you're the loser. You're the loser. You're not the winner. Man's mouth. Some people just never shut up. Some people don't know when enough is enough. They keep speaking. They never shut up. Some people, their appetite is humongous. I'm in a restaurant the other day with Carol. And you know when you have the, the challenges in restaurant? When you see you know, the, the 17 burgers with a cherry on top, you know. <laughs> and then the Diet Coke to follow. Man versus food, right. And you see this challenge and you see a young, group of young lads and they've had a few scoops. And you think, yeah, hey, let's do the challenge. So what did he do? They do the challenge. And the burgers like that. In fact, they got to look round each other because they can't see each other. The burgers that high. And I think to myself, I know when they're young, you've you you got metabolism and that burns it off. And then I look at Carol and me and I say, don't you try it. <laughs> Some people's never had enough. And you know where sometimes it stems from? When we were young as kids, our parents told us, eat it all up. Because there's people around the world who are starving. And I used to say to them, well, send it to them. Whack! Don't be, don't be cheeky, Tony. I'm serious. Send it to them. So this mentality says, I have to eat. And I just can't, and, and, and jokingly, I can't understand some of the females in our family that say to me when I've eaten, and it says full, full is full. Right? doesn't matter what's on offer. But women seem to have this canny knack that they open this other stomach when they see cakes. <laughs> and it's like, zip, another one comes out. Ah, now that stomach's full, but this one's reserved for cakes. And I don't know how you do that. I honestly don't know how you do that. And it's like you eat compartmentally. You say enough for this, and because I'm saving myself for the pudding and the dessert. I can't think like that. Now I know some of you do. It's a strange phenomenon. <laughs> Carol will say, couldn't eat another thing. Couldn't eat another thing. Or the grandchildren, you know, you're trying to shove that next roast potato in there thinking, I could have ate that roast potato. That's worth something in my life. Roast potatoes are tradable in our house. <laughs> and you see the kids messing, leaving them. And you think, I could have had that roast potato. It would have been better living with me. And then the kids, no, I don't want it. And you're trying to shove it and it's around the teeth. And all of a sudden they see the cake coming out. Whoa! All of a sudden, so the mouth and the appetite. We dig our own graves by our appetite and by our mouth. I told all ADT students this. If you think you've got legacy, I'll just watch what you eat and I'll tell you your legacy. 
if you tell me you've got legacy, I'll have a look at your friends and I'll tell you what legacy you've got. You can tell me what legacy you think you have, but your life and behaviour will tell you what legacy you really are. Yeah? It's true. It's true. So we see the eyes of men and the, uh, the eyes and the ears of men are things that have never had enough. We see that the mouth and man's appetite are things that's never had enough. These are obstacles as to why we still live with lack and we need and have need. The next one is the grave. The grave's never had enough. Right now, just stop. Millions of people have just gone to the grave. Stop again. Another bunch of another group of uh, people have just gone to the grave. Another section of millions of people. The grave is being fed every day. Now, the thing about the grave is this. Death occurs before death happens. Death happens when death is finally pronounced. Death took place long before. The, the laws of the, the, you know, the uh, physiology, medicine, all the kind of things, things that our organs are diminishing by the foods we eat. So death takes place in us long before it manifests in us. But it's only until someone dies or when they have a heart attack, we realise it's the result of their living. Yes? So the grave is being fed long before you put in it. Oh, it is. You've got to see this. This is why healthy living keeps you out the grave. Exercise is good. Exercise is good. Sorry, I just spoke a foreign word there, didn't I? Maybe I'll speak it in Chinese. Exercise is good. Get some. It will keep you out of the grave. Walk, run, jog, cycle. Do what you've got to do, but keep moving. Get, some, get a dog. Get some grandkids. Do what you've got to do, but keep moving. Get a dog sleigh. Do whatever you've got to do. Push a car. Look for a car that won't start. Here's, let's look at this, this scripture. Here we see in Ecclesiastes, sorry, Isaiah 5. We see four things in this scripture that have never had enough. In one scripture we see four things. In one scripture. Proverbs 30, verse 15. The leech, it says, has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. There are three things that are never satisfied, four that never say enough. Three things that are never satisfied, four things that never say enough. And then it tells us here, the grave, the barren womb, land which is never satisfied with water, and fire which never says enough. You know a fire needs feeding. A fire needs feeding. The grave is being fed every day. True? A barren womb, it's never had enough. A land 
Land needs water. It's never had enough water. It's never had enough of water. He keeps saying, feed me, feed me. Why? Because trees consume hundreds and thousands of gallons of water. When you have subsidence, it's like strangling a tree. And the tree searches in its roots. It looks for every source of water in that immediate vicinity. And it drags as much water as it can out. And very often, that's, it can create subsidence in buildings. Because the tree is unhealthy. It's dying. It's not had enough. That's why your Bible tells you that the man who's planted will become like a stream, like planted by the trees, you'll become like a stream of living water. Out of you will flow water, rivers. So there has to be an internal supply in you because externally, there's a lot of things that's never had enough. Hello? And if things are not brought to an end in you, you will always live like the pagan because you've never discovered the law of enough. And the law of enough comes out of seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. And out of that comes lack and need, but the bridge, the lifesaver, is enough. Because there are times when we lack and there's times when we're in need, but we should always live in the place called enough. Because enough isn't always physical, it's a mental thing and a spiritual thing. You can need food, but yet still live peaceful. Because if you get your heart and your mind, then you say, it's alright Tony, you go and live in Africa and, and, and work on that. I've not been there. But I know one thing, scripture has a principle. And I choose to live by scripture... Not because people die in these environments. I choose to live by scripture. Man says don't live by bread alone. But by every word. If it's scripture, it's got to work. It's got to work. And I need to find the keys of how to make it work. And if things don't work, it's not the word that's not working. Maybe I didn't obtain the key. Think about this. God's word will never return void. So I know the problem's not God's word. The problem is often the key I use. The wisdom and the understanding I need to make that principle come alive. Can you see this? So, the leech has two daughters. Give, 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 they cry. There are three things that are never satisfied, four that never say enough. It's the grave, the barren woman, land, which is never satisfied with water, and fire, which never says enough. These are natural things. Physical things. But these are things that speak. These are things that speak. They have a mind. They're created to consume. Hello? They're created by the creator to consume. The grave was created to make room for the, for the new delivery. It makes room on planet earth. But the times of our death, the circumstances of our death, there's a lot of what we can take control of in the middle. But the grave eventually will have its fill. And thousands and millions and hundreds and billions of people, in fact, eventually everyone's going, people will die. 
It's fair to say that until Christ comes back again, the only way you're going to see him is if you die. Unless you have a revelation. So these are natural laws. These are natural things. These are working every day. They speak. And these are the things that consume the pagans. Hello? These are things that consume the pagans. Wow. It's very easy to become a Christian and live with a pagan mentality. The law of just enough. The law of, that'll do. The law of, it's not really bothering me. It's not going to hurt me. There's a lot of laws that you create that all it's going to do is consume you and it's going to take your life. Why? Because they're not the law of first. If it's seek first the kingdom of heaven, that's a different mentality. That pushes your spirit and your body in a certain way. But the moment you choose to live by a different law, it will take you in a different direction. And that's why broad is the path that leads to destruction. But narrow is the path that leads to life. And you think, because I'm saved, I'm on the path. But you'll find a lot of time you live your life on the broad path. And guess what it's going? To the grave. It's going to the place called destruction. On that, on that path, you will find the grave. You'll find fire. You will find things that speak that say, feed me, I've not had enough. So Philippians chapter 3 verse 18 says this, For I have often been told before, Philippians chapter 3 verse 18, For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. The God, their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Wow. Paul is saying, look, with tears I keep warning you. I keep writing to you to pull out the emphasis of the kingdom has to become first because every day the grave is speaking, the fire is burning. Every day there's a land that never has enough water. Every day man's appetite is pushing him in different ways. Every way man's words, his eyes and his ears are pushing him in different ways. But I'm writing to you, Dreamalites, he says, I'm writing to you in Manchester to warn you, to help you, to help you see that if you live as an enemy of Christ, you say, well, I'm not an enemy of Christ. No, you're a fan. A fan's not a follower. A fan, if you're not a follower, then you're an enemy. You can't have, there's no lukewarm. Lukewarm is not the new dance in church. The destiny, their destiny, their destiny is destruction. Their God is in their stomach, their appetite. And their glory is in their shame. Their glory in their shame means their behavior. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. So straight away it makes a shift. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's our command headquarters. That's where we function from. That's where we take our orders from. That's where the word flows to us. And creates us. And this is where the law of first creates. Because we are part of a law of first company. The kingdom and its righteousness. 
Don't separate those two. And he says this, who by the power, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will become like, so they will be like his glorious body. In other words, our reflection, our, our desire is to become like him. So if we have the kingdom as, our, as the first law and his righteousness, then we should expect to see Jesus in us. Because we can bring everything under control. I can bring the eyes. I can bring the, the ears. I can bring the mouth. I can bring the appetite. So therefore, the grave no longer speaks to me. The fire's never consuming me. I now become a land that can then feed others. Yes? And I don't have the barren womb. Why? Because I have seed in my spirit. So what's going to speak? It all depends on what's never had enough within you. So we see the, these eight things, the eyes and the ears of men, man's mouth and his appetite, the grave, the barren womb, a land which is never satisfied with water, fire. Now what's fire? Let's just, just hold on a second. What's, what does he mean by fire's never had enough? The evil, the anger, and the rage within people. The evil, the anger, and the rage that you see within some people is fire that burns within them. And it consumes them on the inside. Fire. Let's put another F in there, fear. These things consume us from the inside. And you know what they're doing? They're bringing us to the point called finish. And these are the things that will take away your destiny and cause you to expire early in your legacy. But our citizenship is in heaven. We must live by the power to bring everything under control. So if you live like a pagan rather than live by the Lord of the first, seeking God's kingdom and its righteousness, you'll find that there are things chasing you down. Every day of your life. If you don't live by this law, things will chase you down. And they will, say, they will always say to you, we've not had enough. We've not had enough. And it will determine your behavior. Christ lived and died so that we could live again. How many of you believe that? Part of you living again is that you must die. He who loses his life for my sake will gain it. It's learning to die to self. And when we learn to die to self, and I say, emphasize the word learn. When we learn to die to self, we have to learn very quickly to live by the word enough. I can look at what I don't have and always look like I'm being God, I'm a victim. God is not pleased with me. I'm not doing enough. Or if I live with contentment and live with believing that God will lead me into these things, by his wisdom, there's a time and there's a wisdom that I need to unlock 
these things. If I can believe that I'm living in the will of God and in time God will show me how to pursue these things righteously, then I'm, I'm keep the kingdom at the first uh, as number one and it's righteousness, then God's never, God's not hiding things from me. God's hiding things for me. God's not hiding things from me. God's hiding things for me. There's things I've put away already for my grandchildren. I've not hid them from them. I put them aside for them. Because there'll come a time when they will be wise enough and stable enough to obtain and inherit what grandma or nana and granddad has put aside for them. We don't have to die before we get our full inheritance. But we do have to become mature. The grave has never had enough. But Paul said this, for me, for me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Philippians 1, verse 21. For me, that's my attitude. That's my determination. That's my result. For me. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. So you have to learn the word enough. You have to bring some things to an end, to a point where, oh, hold on, I don't have it today, that's fine. Enough is enough. God will not stop. You need to learn to understand that God will never stop demanding righteousness from you. He will never. And do you know why? Because... Behind that, there's a work called sanctification. And sanctification is holiness. And when the Holy Spirit was, was in, uh, came into you, it says, the Bible tells us that righteousness, and it uses this word, was imputed. It was given to you as a measure for you then to develop. Now, the Holy Spirit who comes into you qualifies you for the work of sanctification. So that when you're finished, you are complete. Not lacking. That work, he's been given a license to do that work. But if you revoke the license, he can't work in you. And things begin to chase you down. But if you say, Lord, the license is, is, is available today. Lord, you're operating by the license of the Lord of the Spirit. I choose to die daily. So, let's conclude this. Do you really know what it means to live with enough? Do we really know? Do we? Do you? Do I? Does the person at the side of you? Do you know the word enough just simply means balanced, content, fulfilled, inwardly happy, not stressed, and not passive? That's important. There's things you need to do. It's balanced, it's content, it's fulfilled, it's inwardly happy, not stressed. I don't have to live stressed when I live by enough. I still have needs, I still have lack, but I'm not stressed about it. Enough means to the required degree needed. I do something to the, de- the, required, uh, the degree that's required. Yeah? I live to the required degree asked of me 
and needed of me and expected of me. I come to his standards. I live to the required degree needed. I live to the required degree asked of me, needed of me and expected of me. When you want something, here's the key. Let me just turn it towards you now. Enough is when you want something to stop. I want the grave to stop consuming me. I want the fire to stop burning. Through anger, rage, fear. I want my appetite to stop speaking. But it's got to be controlled, it's got to be disciplined, it's got to be harnessed. Because my appetite will become the net that entangles me. My eyes will become the very thing that leads me in the wrong direction. My ears have got to come to the point. My appetite, my spirit has got to say, enough! We're very quick to say to the devil, stop! Enough! But we're not quick to say enough to self. Because I can have it doesn't mean to say I should. All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial, Scripture says. So maybe the pagan carnal fires of life have been devouring you. Just maybe. Maybe they've been devouring you internally, externally, spiritually, financially, psychologically. What about you relationally and emotionally? Maybe there's fire in them. Maybe there's a grave in that. It's time to say enough. It's time to say enough. Maybe the pagan land within you is very thirsty and it's dry. Why? Because you took all that God gave you and you used it in the wrong areas. And now like the prodigal son, it's time you've come to your senses where you realise that what, what have I got? I've lived the pagan life and it's brought me nothing but stress. Maybe it's time you think, Lord, I need a drink, Lord. This land is dry and thirsty. Well, have you had enough of that? People say they want things to change, but they don't want to stand up and say enough. Maybe the pagan carnal life has created a barren womb in you. In other words, everything that God gave you in seed form has been trampled on. Every good word, every prophetic word, every encouraging word that God gave you, because you pursued the pagan life, you trampled on it. Or you let the birds of the air come and steal the very seed that God gave you to create a life for you. Mm. Deuteronomy says this, 22.9. Do not plant two kinds of seeds in a vineyard. If you do, not only the crops you plant, but also the fruit of the vineyard will be defiled. You cannot plant two seeds, one in the church and one in the world. Hello? The two different paths going two different ways. There is a grave. There are things on that side of the path that, that keep speaking that have never had enough. Paul says, in all things I've learned to be content. That's on this path. But that path is, broad is the path that leads 
to destruction. Why? Because it's, it's a path that's never done enough. Every day, more and more people are traveling on that path. Haggai tells us in chapter 1, verse 6, you planted much, but you harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. This is the back to Matthew. You worry about what to wear, what to eat, what to drink. And he's saying, here you never have enough. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only then to put them in purses with holes in it. That's when you have more month than you have money. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains. In other words, go up into the heavens. Bring down materials and build the house of God within you. Seek first the kingdom. Go up into the heavens. Pull down materials that will help you build this house. The house that's supposed to be built. The house that's supposed to be seek first. The kingdom and its righteousness. Go up into the mountains so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured. So that God and man can dwell together. Says the Lord. You expected much, he says. But see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains in ruin in you. While each one gets busy with his own house, his own life, his own needs, he pursues a different course and he ignores the cause of the kingdom. Wow. Therefore, because, you are, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I was the one who said... To the tree, no more water. I was the one who said to your land, no more. I was the one who withheld heaven's dew from falling upon you. Why? Because I don't see the kingdom in your son. I call for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine oil. And whatever the ground produces on, and cattle and on the labor of your hands, God will let you go your own way and the enemy will devour the seed. Along the way. Let's stand to our feet. And as we stand to our feet, I'll read this last scripture to you. <coughs> to live in the revelation of what enough looks like in your life can be a very powerful thing. Yeah? The Bible says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I'm in need. I've learned to be content. In other words, he's learned to live with enough. Whatever the circumstances, I've learned to be content. I have learned the secret of being content in any and in every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I want to live from that place. I want to be in the place of enough. So, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. It's time to say enough. In all this whole series of need and lack, we're coming to this place of bringing this pagan lifestyle to an end. 
Because this pagan life is killing us. Chasing. Pursuing. Don't get me wrong. There's responsibilities and the things we need to do. We have to work. We have to eat. We have to put clothes on. We need a place. All those things are mandatory. But every one of those things has to have enough. Every one of those areas has to have enough. Because if not, the grave will begin to speak. The fire will begin to consume. The land within you will become dry. The eyes of your heart, the ears of your mind will begin to pull you in a different way. And it'll pull you towards paganism. And you'll think because you're a fan of Christ, you're a follower. And all you are is a fake. All you become is a fake, a facade of what should be the real thing, but it's not. So I'm asking you today before the Lord Almighty is, Lord of heaven and earth, who is a witness to what we've said today, the pagan in you has to come to an end. First of all, you've got to recognize there's a pagan living in you. To some degree, it may be large. To some other degree, it may be small. Whatever, whatever you see that pagan in you living, you've got to arrest it today and say, enough. He's coming to his end today. The seek ye first, the kingdom and its righteousness has going to become the first. Lord, teach me your ways. I arrest the pagan within me, the mentality. I will put my money down with my wife and we will go through it together and we will put first what needs to be put first. We will put our marriage first, what needs to be put right. Not, what, not the dominant person within the marriage. The principle should speak, not you. And as the principle begins to speak, there comes to a point of this is going to be enough in our marriage. When you go home with your wife or your husband, or you, before you go home and you, and you say, if you may not be married, you may be single, fine. You've got to resolve this in your heart. The pagan in me cannot keep speaking. And the grave will not take my destiny. And the fire will not consume me with anger and rage and bitterness. But today, I will become part of the assembly of God that says, I will seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. Lord, birth in me the power of enough. So come and raise your hands if you will. And I just want you to begin to ask the Lord right now to expose you in that area. And the Lord's exposing it because he loves us and he wants to cover us. But he wants you to take responsibility for it. Surrender it to the cross. If you ignore it, they will keep speaking. They're going to keep speaking whether you ignore it or not. But if you arrest it, recognize it, you can move away so the grave has less and less of you. Come on, it's a good place to say, Lord, today's a new day. Thank you for this life-saving word. I didn't realize, oh God, these eight things speak every day. They devour me. Lord, I realize my eyes have a tendency to lead me in the wrong path. My ears lean towards the wrong things. My mouth doesn't always speak what's good. And my appetite needs controlling for these things. 
Your appetite is not just about food, it's about the things that are not good for you. You hear what you hear, the gossip, what you see, what you touch. I will not allow the fire near me. The only fire I will have inside me is the fire of the Holy Ghost. Oh, Father, help us, O oh God. Be merciful, Lord. Thank you for your word that's given us a key and a pathway into dealing with this area. And Father, I ask you right now, Lord, that this week, that you will give us no rest until we come to deal with these issues. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Lord bless you.